I'm black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. I'm David Connolly, and I'm a communications consultant. I'm Chris Thurber. I'm a clinical psychologist. And we're delighted that on this episode of I'm Black, You're White, Now What?, we're joined by two of my best friends, Andy Bigelow and Brian Lighty. Guys, say hello. Hello. Hi. We'll uh, let Andy and Brian tell you more about their backgrounds and what it is that they do before we engage them in some fascinating conversation. Um, but just to recap the last episode, fascinating conversations with our friend John, who is a detective with the St. Louis Police Department and... David, what were some highlights from that episode and what do you think are some next steps? Um, well, I mean, highlights, uh, definitely we're talking about uh, community policing and the need to get back to that. Uh, we got some really great understanding about how, at least as far as St. Louis is concerned, uh, some of the uh, violence that's going on now has you know kind of come to uh, come to be uh, the erosion of the neighborhoods in you know the inner city area of St. Louis, and uh, we sort of scratched the surface a little bit talking about uh, defunding the police, and John had some really good uh, insights with regard to that, which is one of the reasons I think uh, we're going to have to have him back for a follow up show because uh, I'd like to delve a lot deeper into that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's um, welcome our guests again, Andy Bigelow and Brian Lighty. Guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your summer schedule to join me and David. We're really happy that you're here. I uh, want to give you uh, each a couple of minutes to tell our listeners. Some people will be watching this as a webinar, other people just as an audio uh, podcast. So uh, nice and clear, nice and loud who you are, what you do and where you're joining us from. Um, my, good afternoon. My name is Brian Lighty. I am a banker, a uh, financial banker, analyst. And we're coming from Chicago, originally from North Carolina, and looking forward to, the, to today's discussion. Awesome. All right. I'm, I'm a high school history teacher in Chicago. Uh, I've been teaching for 23 years. And uh, Brian and I moved here to Chicago from Boston, and we are the fathers of two boys who are now, well, two men who are now 23 and 25. We're a couple. And we're a couple. Not just a couple of people. <laughs> Not just a couple of people. We've been married for, well, we've been together for 21 years. Married for 18. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank That's you. fantastic. Um, and for people who are watching this uh, as a webinar, it's obvious for anyone who's listening to the audio podcast, Andy's white, Brian is black, and I'm... Now what? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What, what, first of all, are, what are the challenges? My goodness. I mean, besides the normal challenges of being married to somebody, um, and that's like a whole nother podcast series that I'm not qualified at all to host. Um, but, um, yeah, just honestly, what are the challenges being a mixed race couple? <laughs> you want to go first? <laughs> Well, I, we definitely come from 
extremely different worlds, different perspectives. Um, I certainly come from a great deal of privilege, regardless of class. Um, and I have learned a, I mean, I'm a history teacher, social studies teacher, but the education I received from my experience and my love and life with Brian is just been a whole other master's degree. <laughs> and, uh, it's really, um, you know, I have learned so much over the years in terms of the way in which people treat him versus the way, versus the way they treat me and the way in which they treat our children. We're both, um, Malik is African American, our older son is African American and Puerto Rican, the other one is Puerto Rican, and the way in which they're treated versus the way I am treated. And, uh, and so it is definitely, no matter where we go, no matter where we travel, uh, um, airport security to a grocery store, um, oftentimes we experience this when we're in a um, clothing store, department store, when someone's asking Brian where the bathroom is. Um, it's something that has always happened. And uh, it's something we have to be, I have to constantly be aware of um, yeah. and respect. And uh, we have, you know, we came from very different lives, extremely different lives. And, uh, and I appreciate more and more and want to understand as much as I can um, and learn from Brian. So I'm dying to ask you, white person to white person, do you defend Brian? Is that what Brian wants? Does Brian want you to say or do anything when somebody asks him in a clothing store where the bathroom is? I mean, do you, what, what happens, right? Do you like, uh, I mean, your blood must boil, but, but what do you do? Uh, hold on. We just lost you, Chris. (laughs) Can you see us? We can. Oh, there we go. Right, yeah, we can see. Oh. My bad. I was trying to clear yeah. off the screen. Yeah. Look for a second, like your laptop exploded. Right. Um, I think that, you know, I will. I've never had to jump into a situation. I mean, this is something Brian, from what he has told me, has experienced all his life. So, um, but in terms of being in a place where people are making reference to Black Lives Matter, making reference to all the events that have taken place. And if anything comes across discriminatory in a prejudiced, um, racist way, um, you know, I don't come forward as I'm married to a black man, but I come forward um, to, to share and to, to correct or to educate folks as to this part of the story that they're missing or perspective that they don't understand. And, uh, and there have been times when I, I try not to, I hate to say this word, play our expression, play that card where, you know, I know because, no, it's more so what I've learned over the years and uh, where people say being discriminated against for being gay, it's the same thing as being discriminated against for uh, being black. And there have been so many times where I've corrected people by saying, when I walk into a, a store to buy a watch, I walk into a store to buy clothing, um, I have the choice to not share what my sexual orientation is. And I, I will have a completely different experience. And when someone finds out that I am, and they discriminate based on my sexual orientation, that is a completely different thing than race. And, uh, and that has been something I have corrected people for years, um, something I've learned a lot myself to make sure I'm not using terms like the civil rights movement when making reference to the gay rights movement, you know, and, and separate but equal is really, you know, something that was earned and fought for um, through the civil rights heroes and, and still um, being fought for. And, um, you know, so I think for me, it's been more so aware of what's happening to Brian, um, but never really wanting to be the one that I kind of feel like I'm doing now. I never want to be white splaining, <laughs> and I don't want to be um, reacting 
um, and be any bit of white savior stuff that we see in movies. So it's complicated. I mean, that's, yeah. here's this person that you love so much and somebody is uh, treating them unjustly. Um, but, you know, you're, you're you know, as, as, as you said, I mean, you said, you know, Brian's grown up with this and you certainly don't need need to come to his defense, but you must want to sometimes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but I also, I really enjoy, <laughs> I, swear, I would say enjoy watching how he responds. It's just, it's <laughs> because, all right, I mean, so now, you... now we just have to act like, all right, <laughs> how do you respond, Brian? Well, well, first of all, I'd like to say, didn't I do a good job with my wife? Yeah, I've got a, a 1967 model from New Hampshire. Right, <laughs> very And what people, done. what people who are listening to the podcast don't see is that you guys are both dashingly handsome. So we just uh, got to share that with uh, the podcast audience. Uh, so, but too bad for everyone who's not the two of you. Um, so, to, <laughs> so to answer your question, I mean, Andy, you know, I've learned a lot of things in being with a person that's in a different race for 21 years. Uh, I've learned that not every single situation that I look at from a race perspective actually should have been that way. Hmm. I haven't tampered myself as much as he probably would like me to, but I'm learning to actually brush with a feather instead of hit with a hammer in my response. Because my many years of growing up in the South and growing up with parents who were highly educated but didn't understand not to drink themselves to death. I learned early on to be proud of who I was. That was not our issue. Substance abuse was, which is again, another time for another podcast. So when we got together, I brought to this a lot of um, preconceived notions of how not only he would behave, but his parents. Hmm. And remember my parents died when I was 10 and 12. They drank themselves to death. I've actually had his parents in my life longer than I would have had my parents at this point. So it's been an amazing education because there are situations where I've had race conversations with his father, who's now 89. Yeah. Who's a check-in box Republican. And it took me quite some time to get there, but then one thing happened and another thing happened. And I thought, you know what? Today's the day for us to have that real conversation. And this was 15 years ago. Um, I think being with someone of a different race and looking at the world as the world looks at you, like I said, it's taught me not to think that everything is that way, but also when things are. I mean, there, here's an example. Um, there's a book called Nigger, and we all probably know, know the book. I mean, you'll grab it if you, if you want to. But I, uh, I'm reading it, and all of a sudden I start to chuckle. And Andy says, what's so funny? And I go, they're telling racist jokes in this book. And I started to read those jokes to him. And he said, you've never heard that? And wow. it was amazing. I had never heard, wow. I had not heard to that point, a racist joke like these in this book. Like no one would dare say that to my face. So I just literally, and I lived, I went from black, 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 middle class to upper echelon white as I was being raised. And on neither side did I ever hear a joke like that. And it was interesting to see his, to hear his response yeah. to me not have ever heard that. 
What are some of the things that you I'm listening to you say like everything uh, you know was is not worth pulling the sword out for um, that you've learned that over these 21 years? What's an example of something that you would have been you know maybe more sensitive about before that you learned is maybe not something you should have been as sensitive about? So um. Some of it had to do with our kids when we first moved to Chicago and the school that they went to. Um, because Andy's an educator and also a white person for those who aren't watching the podcast. Um, he would deal with things at the school differently than I would when it pertained to our kids. He had the view of the teacher and the administrator's side. And I, I sometimes felt like that was his angle. And there would be times when something would happen when I would say to him, Today is not the day that you come to school as a parent. You just go on to your school because today you're not going to like what I'm about to say. I've tried your way, <laughs> but now it's going to be the black way. <laughs> so, and, and, that's, and, and that happened in situations in the school that my kids went to. And then when they went to his school, there were some situations where I had to bring it all because they just didn't understand the white version. So I had to give them another version. I know that's right. Okay. I understand. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got the typical, I've got the, you know, I bought him a coat from a store, which we won't name the store for Christmas. The coat wasn't the right size. I take the coat back with the hanger in the bag. I don't have the receipt. They give me all kinds of grief about this coat as if I could have stolen the coat. And then he comes back in, takes the coat. They don't even question it. Newberry shoe. Right. Um, I mean, there's, there's a host of things that, you know, I had a colleague in the car with me uh, a couple of years ago, and we were driving past Wrigley Field here in Chicago, and the game was about to start in two hours. They blocked the street so that everyone could leisurely walk in the street. We somehow got trapped in between the police barriers, and I simply pulled over to the side because there were a group of cops that were going to work the baseball game, all white. I pulled over, and before I could even ask the cop a question, he started waving me on, which you don't wave me on. That's just not how we roll. I'm, you know, for whatever it's worth, I'm in a suit. I'm in a nice car. You're going to hear what I got to say. And that's not why you should listen to me, but I'm setting the premise for people who are listening. I pull over and I get out of the car and I say, because my colleague who was white was staying at the hotel and I just simply wanted to make a U-turn. But before I did the U-turn, I thought I better ask the man who's standing right here. And I get out of the car and said, you don't, Wave me on. Suppose this man was having a heart attack. Suppose he needed your assistance. And my colleague is tall, but the cop is leaning into the window and his gun goes into my, my work colleague's face. To which he's like, Ryan, let's just go. Let's just go. So as we're moving away, my colleague, White, says to me, I can't believe how you treated that cop. Here comes the hammer. I stopped my car. We had just met each other three months prior. He thought I was a Boy Scout. I told him to get his shit out of my car and walk his ass to his hotel. He was mortified that I snapped from being really nice. But I said to him, you didn't understand what just happened. His wife, who went to NYU Law School, he called her that night. And she called me to say, I, I cleaned him up. Don't worry. He grew up privileged. He didn't recognize how you were just trampled on by wanting to simply ask the police a question to help out someone before I got into trouble. All the things that they tell us to do. So 
he got a little mm-hmm. bit of a hammer. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. Let me ask you about the defending thing, um, because I, I I thought that was, I know what Chris is trying to say, but I thought that was uh, that was interesting. But two questions: one, uh, Brian, I'm hearing from you. Do you want him to defend you? I feel like I know the answer, hearing what you just said. But still, I want to hear you say what your answer is. But then the other thing is, has there been like a growth in that area where maybe there was a thinking at first that that was necessary and somehow that's changed. Like so, how is that the view of that evolved, if at all? So it has evolved, Chris. I, it, I mean, I'm sorry, David. It's, um, you know, in the beginning, I wanted a little bit of defending just because I wanted to see whose side he was on. Mm. Because I brought a bunch of things to this relationship, of, you know, maybe not trusting because he was white and, Whatever the case may be, judging him by his friends who are all white. And I would say to them, you guys are sad. I'm the only black person that all of you know. That's ridiculous. Could be the location where they live. Whatever the case may be, I was the only one. And then as we matured in our relationship and he started to see where I would need his help and where I wouldn't need his help and where I might need his help that would keep me out of trouble. Because in today's world, if you've got a white, you need to use it effectively. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, this is well, sounds funny, but this is that's why funny. Andy's my friend. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I need to know when a situation is just going to not go the way I think it's going to go. And he can give me the look. He can interject. He can actually. I've seen him take a conversation right out of my mouth that was going mm. to get me in trouble. I swear to you, not. <laughs> more than once and it is we can be opposite ends of the room which is what we normally do when we go to social events and he can hear the conversation and know how i'm going to respond that might not be quite right and and somehow stop me from saying what i want to say hmm. that's useful because when he's not in the boardroom with me i think about it hmm. i think about it he's very he's very protective of me which is very interesting because there was one time a, uh, I got back from a, uh, bringing my students on a social justice tour of, of Alabama, Mississippi, my civil rights class. And uh, we came back to a party, um, a derby party. And this guy who I didn't know very well, but I've known him you know, for five or six years or so, started to question. He was, he was white. He was from the South. And he was questioning my motives and um, as to why I'm bringing people on the civil rights tours. And then he started to turn nasty as to, do I ever teach them anything positive? Is this your agenda? Is this because your kids are black? And then I could, I could see what was happening. It's almost like I could see his white cone hat. And, uh, and just everything was starting to take shape. And then I just realized, and I'm, I'm getting really short of breath and very upset, but I don't want to, in a sense, create a scene right here out of respect for, you know, people who have the party and who we love and, and Brian's right there. And I don't want him, you know, he's probably one of the, one of three African-American men who are there. Um, and I just decided, I just said, I just said to the guy, I said, you know what, this is going to a really dark place and I'm going to end this conversation right now because what you're saying is, is unbelievable. And I'm, I am walking away and out of respect for the people in this house and my husband who's upstairs. 
And then I just went outside and quickly texted Brian and said, hey, time to go. Um, <laughs> just because I just wanted to get us out of that situation because I wanted to be able to explain to him what happened and then give him the time to process and think how we should respond to it. Um, but it was... Uh, We've taken care of it. We've taken... <laughs> <laughs> So here's what's, what I'm jealous of is that you guys have each other to do that with. And I mean, um, you know, I mean, Brian, I might see you once every couple of years. We had an hour long drive up to uh, where Lake Forest, yeah. where you took me to work with a school, um, you know, occasionally text or talk on the phone. Um, David and I became friends five years ago, four years ago, um, five years ago. And um, we talked a lot about the work that we did together, but not much about race. Even though actually one of the videos that, one of the educational videos that I made for camp staff was about cultural competence and uh, uh, I don't think we directly talked about anti-black racism, but it was it was broader than that. And but, you know, David was in film producer mode and I was in kind of, you know, director scriptwriter mode or something. But I. I I mean, I'm fortunate that several of my closest friends at the school where I teach and my older son's advisor that I've known for 21 years are black and I can I know them so well that I can ask them these questions and have them not either laugh in my face or you know uh, think that I'm just ignorant and they feel sorry for me but you guys have this almost every day I know that you know you go on business trips and um, Andy goes on you know trips with his class and things like that but I'm so jealous listening to you that 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 you can do that with each other and be like, all right, so what's the, you know, what's what's your angle on this as a black man? What's your angle on this as a white man? We, I don't know. It's we, awesome. We 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 and so so I think for people in any type of mixed race relationship, they've got to be able to do that because, you know, I I remember saying to Andy, we will be together forever as long as I don't come in the house and hear hip hop music because that's not who I wanted to be with. And that's not who you were when we met. You are Joni Mitchell all day. So stay there. And and, and little, and, and little James come, Taylor. Yeah. Let me come to all you day. from my angle. And yeah. You come from your angle. And let's keep it 100% all the time. So if you want to say something about something, this is the one safe place. Because I'm going to say what I need to say. And I hope you don't take it personally. <laughs> um, and because of that, you know, I've learned a lot, as I said earlier about being someone, you know, who is of another race. And it's interesting because this maybe is not something you guys maybe have had talked a lot about with some of the other guests, but, you know, not only am I a black man in America, but I'm a black gay man. So I'm now in a different subset with white gay men who more and more increasingly are just showing me that they are just white. Hmm. It's been really, really interesting to see that when it's not your issue, you'll be at the front of the bus waiting for us to deal with our shit in the back. And then we'll come back to the front and you'll be there. But when it's your stuff, white gay man, mm -hmm. you expect mm -hmm. black gay man to be right there marching with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that we need to get together. I don't miss a turn to bring it up when I'm with my white friends. 
We have heart-to-heart conversations about it. Uh, we look at our crew and make sure that not just to have a diverse crew of men, but we, we just happen to have diverse people who aren't just aren't subtle friends. Mm-hmm. We know their parents. We know their siblings. You know, like real relationships, which I think sometimes when you have a relationship that's intermingled, you one of the other cultures take over and someone ends up being remiss because they lose themselves because one is more dominant. In this situation, Andy has not let my dominance make him anything but a boy from New Hampshire who happens to love a black guy from North Carolina. It's interesting, too, like when we talked about or Chris brought up, you know, um, our, our friendship of, you know, five years. It, I, I race, as far as the two of us were concerned, other than the, the video we did, um, has been a thing that, I guess has not come up to where we needed to have any sort of conversations about that specifically until recently. Um, and even that didn't really have a lot to do with, um, with the two of us as friends. You know, we were, we've been in that way sort of blessed to just be able to be friends so far, um, without, you know, that. But I like to think that for understanding purposes, uh, we're always able to be a resource for each other, you know, with that. Um, I do have friends that I have, uh, you know, been through some situations with where we were both present when some of these, you know, things came up. And so some of that has, you know, helped to define our friendship. and, and, you know, I'm sitting, when I say have friends, I mean have white friends or friends of other races where, you know, we've been there when some of that has happened. But in my lifetime, unless, unless there is an issue that happens at that moment or unless we're talking about, uh, you know, some things that are going on nationwide like now or even locally like here in Georgia, then I don't bring it up because... Even though it's a part of me, it's not necessarily, I'm saying it meaning the, the problems with race. Like, I don't lead with that when I call Chris, for instance. You know, I don't call and say, hey, listen, how you doing? Before you ask how I'm doing, let me tell you about, you know, these people following me around in the grocery store, you know. Um, but it does happen, and it's, 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 it is interesting. And what's, I don't know what Chris and Simo have to deal with, but like, with my wife Sharon and I, it's not interracial, but a lot of the same. I'm laughing because a lot of the same dynamics are there. Um, like I'm, I'm the cooler head, and so I'm usually the one who is across the room listening and saying, "Uh, excuse me for a minute," and then I gotta go over there and I got to say, "Well, what Sharon actually means is, you know, uh, yeah." You're really, y'all salt of the earth. You're really nice people because she's always ready to burn some things down. And I said, I'm talking to people and I say, man, do you smell gas? Yeah, I look over there and she's throwing gasoline around the room about to set it on fire, you know. So, but she's also the one, if I say, you know what, this is getting above, you know, my threshold for civility. Um, 
as volatile as, as you know she can be, and I'm using that word uh, comedically. She knows to come and say, hey, you know what, for real, y'all need to leave him alone because he's about to blow. So I'm listening to that, and it's just kind of interesting because, you know, we go through some of the same things. It's just that our experience, both being black, I would think, is is shared in a different way, um, you know, than, than you guys. And so I'm wondering, like, Andy, what that's like to be like intimately involved with somebody who is going through that. And like you said, it, it's it's different than, um, you know, saying, okay, well, uh, as the the gay rights movement, the civil rights movement, for instance, is, is different in what, you know, the black person is going through. But so to be that close and see it and everything, but I don't know, to, you got to be still experiencing it different, or do I have that wrong? I mean, I'm asking no, you because right. I, I, I mean, flat don't know. Yeah. No, it's interesting. The first thing that comes to mind is is um, something I've learned from uh, some of our African-American friends um, who are also happen to be gay, is that I have this habit, and I know this, that, um, and I thought it was a good thing in a sense when I'm getting to know people, if we're a bunch of people are assigned to our table at a wedding or something like that, you know where I'm going. Oh yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I always just say, "Hey, where are you from? You know, and and uh, where'd you grow up? And what do you do for a living?" And and that's something I've just always done. And, and what we hear is, <laughs> "Where are you from? How much the money does your parents have? Where are you address. from? Where neighborhood did yeah. you live in? Oh, you know where are so? you from? Oh, you mean you, you brought and you've got a summer house and you? Oh yeah, you got a sailboat. Right. That's right. what we. So when we when we get asked that question, <laughs> we feel like we're being put into boxes. Before we, you even get a chance to have it naturally flow. So it's it's as if black that. people are not intelligent enough <laughs> right. to get around to those things. We're going to converse right. about those things in the right time. We're not just going to spill our resume in the beginning. Right. That is so, to me, that's so interesting. And I, you know, as David said at the outset, the one of the core ideas for our doing this webinar podcast series was to ourselves as hosts be honest not like okay well <clears throat> we're doing this because i know everything there is to know about white people and the white perspective on anti-black uh, racism and likewise you know for david uh the representative of all people of color especially of black men um we're we're doing it because we're friends and we felt like if we can model some of these conversations, maybe that will help some of our other friends or listeners. And to be honest, I am, I, I never knew this, like, I, right? What you're saying, Andy, has taken you uh, some time to adjust. I, I, I never would have even guessed if you'd said, all right, here, here it is, read the transcript. Um, and how is this coming across? to the black people at the table. I'd be like, uh, you're polite, no. you're interested, no. you're sweet, you're, you know, and I'm so- I've got another one there. So I have so much to learn. There's another thing I learned. <laughs> so this, I've, this, I've is, this is the only, this is two of two. This is the other right. thing. Oh no, there's more, but oh, okay. you know, the other is, um, I mean, that's, so I've adjusted more, nice to meet you. And, um, you know, what I will say, so, um, are you from Chicago? I said, I'm new to this area or something like that. You know, I mean, just, I'm just less invasive 
or less asking for a specific answer, which will define okay. class, you know, uh, anything. And, uh, and so the other thing that I found interesting was um, where we were in New York, <laughs> talking about gay men, we were at brunch. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked my, uh, my, my friend who was, who was a, a black gay male, um, who invited this other black gay male to brunch. And, um, you know, I said, nice to meet you. I, you know, I take it you're from New York or he said, yeah, you know, I'm from here. And I said, great. How do you two know each other? And so, you know, he explained it and how they, how they had, I think, grown up together or something like that. And then after brunch, my friend took me aside and said, I just want you to be aware of something you always do is that you as a white male always question how we know of each other. Does that really make a difference? Are you looking for, because, oh, you went to school together? Or, you know, what access did you have that made it possible for you two people to actually meet, yet you come from such different worlds? He goes, you, and he goes, I know, it, he actually, I remember him saying, I know it comes from a good place out of curiosity, but it comes across as you're actually questioning, how could I, from Alabama, know this um, successful, black gay male from New York City, how is that possible? And he goes, that's how it came across to me, even though you didn't intend that. And he goes, you have a habit of doing that. Other white gay men have a habit of doing that. I just want you to be aware of that. And I appreciated that he told me that. And I have become unbelievably aware of how much I do that. Um, but I just, something that came from such a good place, didn't matter that it came from a good place and good intention. It, it made him feel uncomfortable. Um, fortunately, we're good enough friends where he felt comfortable enough because he knows I'm a sponge for, you know, this life and and uh, and my relationship with Brian and making sure, kind of like I am as a teacher, you know, making sure my my curriculum in my classroom is an inclusive space for everybody. And here I create a very exclusive space. Well, no, I mean, first of all, there's not a lot of people that would have taken that as well as you did and are sponges for lifelong learning in the way that you are. Uh, so that's pretty awesome, but. Um, I, I think that is an example of the kind of privilege that white people have that they have no idea about. When you say to, when I say to my other white friends, white privilege, or it comes up in a conversation, they're thinking about dollars and what dollars can buy. So as Brian mentioned earlier, they're thinking about the boat or the summer house or, and that, that that's it. Um, when there's not only a subtler kind of privilege, more powerful perhaps than, than, than dollars, which is access. And then there's this even more subtle kind of privilege, which would lead Andy, you and me uh, not you anymore, but me still, to not even understand that I was stepping in it by asking, how do you guys know each other? Um, again, uh, it w I'm... So, so Chris, here's... It just here's not occurred to me. Here's how I can help you understand yeah. that question. If you ask me, how do I know someone? When I give you the answer, what are you going to do with the information? It, it, yeah. Oftentimes, if, if we know each other in a way that you can't relate to, it stops the conversation right there. Versus if it comes out naturally, as it will with intelligent people who know how to converse, it's just 
there's so many other things one can say to a person of color when you first meet them. Nice to meet you. And then all hosts of things you can talk about, not where'd you go to school? I yeah. get asked, where'd I go to school? I'm 55 years old. And I'm really, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, I don't remember. I get asked the question. No, I remember. Yeah. I just go, and you having that knowledge is going to do what? You want to play the name game? Oh, do you know? Yeah, it's just it's such a yeah. So that you know, it, it's it's, but it's something that a lot of our friends still do. They're like, how do you know this person? And I just don't even answer the question. I literally just stare right at them and don't answer. You know, another interesting. This is now my third. <laughs> I have a few more, but I'll just say this last one was it's interesting. Uh, Brian has a very extensive family, and when. I first came out of the closet and, you know, met a group of friends in Boston. And, and then when I met, eventually met Brian a year, two years later, and he often refers to his family, like really his gay family. And, and then he often refers, he has talks about different cousins and aunts and uncles, you know, and, um, and a brother, you know, and, and there've been times when I met or he's made reference to someone in his family and I say, Oh, how are they related? And that, pause gave me enough to know that does it really matter you know do i really need to does i really need to break down that actually this is you know we always referred to him as my cousin because he was at my house my entire life you know but why is it that you're you're questioning what is the relation for me personally i'm just curious but i'm getting to know brian getting to know his family and all that and uh but it really doesn't matter to him their family and that's his cousin that's his cousin you know that's his brother that's his brother and uh and that, and we have created a family with our friends, you know, and, and um, having moved away from my immediate family, you know, and, and which was hard, but having that extended family here has made me realize more and more how it doesn't really matter how your family is created, who they are, what the connection is, the fact is that they're family. And what their race is. Right. And yeah. it's just, you know, as a history teacher, you know, I just, every time Brian shares something with me, I just dive into the root. Um, of the past and, and uh, you know, from well, from 1619 through today, you know, through Bacon's Rebellion, through uh, the Spanish-American War, just looking at that history of segregation, history of uh, institutionalized racism, history of separation, and just all that, ha that has harmed and held back, um, you know, black families historically. And just because they had the Voting Rights Act of 1965 didn't mean everything came to an end. And just because of the election of President Obama, and uh, and it just that I mean, uh, I think I'm going on a tangent here, but like Tim Wise, white like me, I love that opening chapter where he talks about as a working class white man, I have so much more privilege than most people in America, and he breaks it down how he inherited, he how, what he inherited was a last name, what he inherited was an access, what he inherited was a family store you know that gave him the opportunity to be in this working class white neighborhood and uh and just uh, there's just so much to it and the amount of privilege that i have um i am i try to be as aware of it as much as i can um but brian is has been a great check-in um i run a lot of my opinions through him first <laughs> mm -hmm. um there's lots of things when it comes to teaching our kids about diversity equity and inclusion my students um, you know, I'm always curious about his lens and her, his perspective. And uh, sometimes he thinks we go too far as educators. Sometimes he thinks I'm being, I'm trying too hard in a sense where I need to back off a little bit. Why do I always have to rationalize and explain everything? Um, so, 
you know, he, he touched on something that I think is really important as a man of color. <clears throat> he talked about growing up with privilege. And I feel like I didn't grow up so much with privilege until after my parents died. And then I moved in with my mother's sister and her husband who were quite privileged. So I understand that our lives parallel. But in this case, as a black man who came from nothing to live in privilege, and how to make sure that the world realizes just because that's your zip code, that what happens to your life still looks at you as a black man. Your zip code can be the toniest, the toniest. And when they see you, you are still a black man. So he was born with things. I've acquired things. I would put us on the same playing field of what we own together. And yet I still have to defend that I live here. And he just walks in the door. And that to me just seems just bizarre just absolutely incredible that that's you know i think it's a you know we talk about racism and, and what we think the cure might be and we've got black lives matter really trying to wake people up and other organizations like that but you know this is something that that you know we're dealing with a pandemic right now so i liken racism to a virus and mm -hmm. it's not that parents pass it on i think it's been here so long that it's in their dna so the only way that we're going to get this thing to change is some serious, serious, serious injections of something. And that's what these different organizations are doing. They're injecting into the culture. They're injecting into society. And when they inject and grow and multiply, that's the only way I think we're going to reach enough people for people to wake up and say, you know what? Just because I was taught that doesn't mean I have to live that. Mm -hmm. and that's very true. Let me ask you something before um, we have to go. I, I want to know, uh, for you, Brian, because, I mean, you know, you were talking about how you acquire things and where you come from uh, to this. Is there an element of, uh, I, I don't know, rejection or sellout, you know, sort of uh, thing being thrown around uh, about you? Have you experienced that? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you're, you're married to... Uh, a white man and you're living a life that you say now, you know, you've acquired things that, that put you on this certain plane. And so I'm just, I'm just curious if you've experienced that too and what that's like, you know, to be kind of getting it from both sides like that. I have. So we moved from Boston where, you know, the, you know, the, the racial makeup of the city is, is 99.9% white Irish Catholic. <laughs> and we moved to Chicago where everything is segregated, but there are people of color here. And in our first summer, we lived in a building and we were fortunate enough to meet a person who then introduced us to a bunch of his friends uh, who were all men of color from the south side of Chicago. And I remember the first time we all kind of met at a party, they were judging me based on the fact that my partner was white. Because in a big city like Chicago that is segregated, there are people who they think lose, their, lose who they are when they are in an interracial relationship. So they all wanted to see if I was black enough or what type of black I was. And I, before they could all get it together, I got them all together in one room to let them know all day I'm black as you will ever find all day. I happen to love a man that's different from me, but I see the world as a man of color and that's the way the world sees me. Don't get it twisted. So I, yeah, but I, I don't often get it. And when I do, I go all in real quick and like, you know, get rid of that situation so we can get on some good footing. 
Tighten it right up. Tighten it up. Yes. Well, when we moved to well, when we moved to Chicago, you know, Brian wanted to be wanted to live out in the suburbs, <laughs> and I said I did not want to be the. Well, it was easy for me to say I didn't want to be the token biracial gay couple with a black and Puerto Rican children on the cul-de-sac, and then we moved to Lincoln Park. The whitest um, place on the internet. Yeah, if you use the New York Times census thing, you put your cursor over the neighborhood, it's the whitest. And, you know, within the first snowstorm, someone asked Brian how much he charged because he was out there shoveling. Someone uh, uh, made reference to our, saw our dog and asked, oh, are your, are your it's true story, are your dog walkers Puerto Rican? Rican? Do you know how much mm. they charge? <laughs> mm. All the first year. <laughs> Those would be my children. Like, you know, you see a white guy. <laughs> and you see these kids, and yeah. still they don't think. You know what? what? That could be his. Those could be his. Well, children. Brian, do you remember when you and Andy came to Portsmouth? Uh, for I think for you to meet my mom and stepdad, and we were at whatever some nondescript. Uh, okay, so you mentioned um, like Irish Catholic. I actually think it was in uh, some sort of Irish pub, yeah. but you, uh, we were just. You know, we were laughing, laughing. Simo was there, the six of us busting a gut, and you got up to use the restroom, and you came back after a you know normal period of time, but just stone faced. And I think Andy asked you what happened, um, and you said that fucking guy just asked me for a glass of water. And of course, I'm just like, uh, all right. So whatever, I think I've been in Staples wearing a, you know, red polo shirt instead of a blue polo shirt. And somebody wants to know, like, where are the printers? Um, big deal. Uh, that sort of took about, you know, eight or 10 seconds to kind of compute. And I think it was, I think it was Andy who was looking at me like Thurber, don't open your mouth for a second. Please stop. Please. Could you just just think it's about this bad. for a second? You wanna eat. <laughs> You're one of my best friends, but you might also be the most impulsive person I know. So just listen. And uh, fortunately I think I did. Um but uh oh, what a memory Chris that was oh my gosh. So we've been, you know, we've been in I know watching the time, we've been at very elegant parties where I've been in, you know, my finest threads and have someone hand me their plate with eaten chicken bones on it and not even even turn to me politely, but sort of look this way and just take their, their plate and tap my arm as if to say, I'm too busy to look at you. Take my plate. Or even worse, the woman had just eaten a skewer of chicken and took it off and then took the stick and turned to Brian and goes, you mind if I put that there? On my plate. This is like the first gathering I brought him to a school function. <laughs> oh, this is wrong. So, 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 and I mean. Oh my then, God. You know, David, I don't know if this happens to you, but I can be at All the time. All the time. And my finest threads and happen to be waiting for my car from valet and have another car pull up that's coming to the restaurant and we'll get out and hand me their keys. And I'm not even in anything that says valet. Mm -hmm. So they're not Absolutely. just giving you the car? Yeah, exactly. Well, they don't They don't know they are. They don't know they are. But, but they have to tell them what happened. Oh my God. So, so not too long ago, before COVID, we were going to a nice restaurant 
and we were pulling up and I could see this white man standing next to the valley parking box leaning on it. And I stopped <laughs> the car away from him and I said to Andy, you might want to get out of the car because what I'm about to do, you won't know what to be associated with. I pulled up to old boy, got out of my car and I tossed him my keys. And he said, did that feel good? And I'm like, yes, no, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> a total stranger. A total stranger. But this is funny too, on the way out, the two of us were just, you know, it was raining, so we bought that rain jackets on, and we were just, we were uh, waiting for our car, and uh, and all of a sudden, this hand came between us, yes. dangling keys, mm. and went like this, excuse me, can you get my car? And we turned around, mm. four black women. <laughs> wow. Okay, right. no, I want to know what happened next. I want to know what happened next. And they were like, what? And she tried to get, she said, well, you're what we go to, explain it like white people, you're wrong. So, right. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. That's hilarious. You know, it's interesting, though. I was just sitting here, you know, going through the Rolodex of horror stories in my head while you're talking, because, like, I live in, you know, a suburb of Atlanta, and I was shoveling I'm snow. Uh, no, I'm not in Buckhead. I'm in Roswell. Uh, okay. But there, okay. I was shoveling. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I was shoveling snow out in front of our house, and people would walk by, and they had never spoken to me before in the neighborhood but i'm shoveling snow and now they come by and everybody wants to speak and more than a couple of them ask me how much i charge and i tell them i i don't charge i do this house i don't do because i live here you know what i mean i, I don't know what you right. think is going on but then also my kids went to uh catholic school and my son was in um in a play like the lead in the play everybody's coming uh, and they're loving, you know, his performance and everything. I'm standing waiting one night to take him home. And so all the parents are coming out or whatever. And this lady's standing next to me while everybody's gathered and shaking hands of the cast and everything. And she kind of leans over to me and she said, I bet you can't wait till we all leave out of here, huh? I said, I'm sorry. So you can, you know, clean up. Oh, I said, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I left my janitor outfit at the house, you know, I usually wear it out for fun, but I left it. Now, I mean, I'm not even dressed like anything that looks like I clean up the place. And, and this is the school. This is not like you just happen to be at the movie theater. So you may not know who worked there. This is, right. you know, school with the, but she just, she was assuming I was waiting to, to clean the place up, you know. So I said, no, I'm actually I'm a, a parent and I'm waiting to take my son home. And it's also funny when you say, like, how do people know each other, that kind of thing. We're meeting the parents, the different parents, when our kids got to the school and both of them got in this school, uh, which, you know, we didn't realize was evidently as difficult as it was to get in there. But they would say, uh, so you got, you know, your a daughter or son here. Well, we have one of both. You know, we have my daughter's here, my son. You have two kids here? Yeah. <laughs> How did you get both of them in? Uh, and I would be joking. My wife would elbow me. I'd be like, we snuck one in through the back. You know, I don't know. What do you mean? How did we get them both in? You know what I mean? They're both. And so he said, well, my daughter was playing basketball at the time. And so we'd be talking and say, well, she plays basketball. Oh, that's it. Okay. She's athletic. No, they're both at the top of their class. It's the right. academics that got him in. She's playing basketball for fun, you know. But it's just really interesting how, you know, a lot of those 
assumptions and things are made is is crazy and and the valet thing has happened to me more than once you know i said man if i was a different kind of guy my mother raised me different <laughs> it will be, be bad for you don't do that you know but it's really kind of sad um and that's the kind of thing that people don't necessarily white people don't always know that you go through you no, know when, i mean when, i you know they don't because Number one, they don't experience it. And number two, mm -hmm. what they learned in school, at least my generation and maybe uh, I'm 52, folks who are 32, maybe even younger, is that what racism is, is lynching and mm -hmm. it is the Ku Klux Klan and it is not hiring someone, you know, because they're black or it's, you know, even more antiquated, it's slavery. I mean, it is all of those things. And, and as you said, Brian, this sort of contemporary injection of some kind of curative element uh, or more than one um, is so long overdue. But I, and I wanna be respectful of, of, of your time guys. And I, I know we just have a couple of minutes left, but I want to rewind to something that you said much earlier, Brian, which is that you um, at some point decided um, on more than one occasion, you wanted to have uh, a difficult conversation with Andy's dad. And I, one of the things I'm most excited about in working with David and doing this series is that we might be able to give some people either a little bit more courage or a few more tools to have those difficult conversations. So do you, do, do you, and, and of course, Andy, I'm interested in your answer to this too, but what enabled you, Brian, to have that conversation? And is there any technique or any tips that you can offer people when they know I, I'm about to try to dive deep with someone who's so very different than me, but who I'd, I'd really like to have a deeper connection with. So this is gonna sound really corny, but he's heard it and he knows it to be true. I was able to have, and am able to have conversations with Andy's dad because he loves me unequivocally. Um, and that would probably shock all of his golf buddies. And it would probably shock the people from where he's from originally in Golfstown, New Hampshire. Um, just because he grew up in a different time. Yeah. He probably was never a racist man. But one time I asked him, I said, Dad, did you ever think this would be your life? And he said to me, what white man from New Hampshire would want, would wish that they were going to have a black son-in-law and two dark grandkids? And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I guess it was too soon for me to ask him that question. And without, <laughs> missing, a beat, without missing a beat, he said, this is so much better than I ever thought it could be. <laughs> oh wow listen to that you know his dad this is so much better than i ever thought it could be case closed i mean it yeah. was, so that's why i mean yeah. we can he he allowed me after realizing i wouldn't go nowhere i was gonna be in his life all his life he's like well god i better get ready because this is the one and he, you know and i think um my parents you know embraced brian from day one but they, like me, have learned so much. And what's incredible is that it just goes to show experience and exposure. You know, had they never met Brian or our, our sons, you know, they're still the wonderful people that they are. But they're, and, Or if I never met Brian, 
I mean, I am just so much better off and so much more aware, mm. so much more empathetic. I'm a better teacher. All of that, just because I will never truly be empathetic because I can never be in someone else's shoes, but I can appreciate and try to understand and slow down and try to, you know, think about that other perspective and that other lens. And, you know, and I'll never forget when my um, mother called us and uh, in 2004 um, and said, you know, during the election, she goes, I just want you to know your father and I voted for you two this time. They voted for John Kerry. And she says the first time in her life they voted for Democrat. A, a Democrat. And, um, and it's incredible the conversations my dad and I have had about um, everything from gay marriage to Black Lives Matter um, to transgender rights. And uh, just how unbelievably aware they're in there. My dad's almost 90, my mom's um, almost 87. And just how aware they are. And that be that's because they got outside of their bubble because of this unbelievable relationship and what they inherited, you know, through me is, is, um, is another son. And, uh, and that, uh, that other son, um, gave them a, a lifetime of an education and such a better and vice versa. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, let's hope that some of our listeners are, you know, that some of that love, that some of that compassion and some of that commitment to learning and growing, regardless of your chronological age, uh, let's hope that some of that rubs off. Uh, certainly has on me in the last hour, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> mm. yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for doing this. I appreciate you guys' perspective. This is awesome. That's awesome. Good luck with the series, and we'll be looking, looking for it and following you guys and, and, and hope and wishing for the best. So thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel, Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com.